0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 9th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, more discussion on the Democratic caucuses, a recount changes the State house election outcome, Chuck Grassley on Donald Trump and the Constitution, and an Iowa town tries to get the Trump campaign to pony up. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me, we have a full roster this week. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good afternoon, Tom.
1: Good afternoon, Aaron.
0: A busy, busy day for the team here, so we're rolling Friday afternoon. Uh, we have Lead Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. Fresh from the Capitol and uh, covering the uh, the new the 49th, 45th Amendment to the Iowa Constitution. You, you know, know I
2: should you? know, but I'm pretty sure it's 49th, yeah. I was <laughs> okay. like, it's almost 50, so yeah.
0: Okay, there you go. <laughs> Uh, Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah.
3: Hello, Aaron.
0: We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared.
4: Aaron, I've got uh, debts no honest man can pay.
0: <laughs> and finally, Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good afternoon, Todd.
5: Afternoon, morning. It's either way. It's all times a flat it's, circle. It's, it's all good. <laughs> a flat circle or a social construct is
0: what I usually <laughs> pull from. All right, uh, a lot to get to, so let's get right into this. Uh, and, and first up this week, we want to uh, kind of follow up uh, on last week's big news that the Iowa Democratic caucuses will be first in the nation no more. Talked a lot about that last week. Uh, we got the benefit of another um, week of the passage of time here. Um, although that said, this may be a fairly brief discussion because, um, although we left last week's podcast with a lot of big questions, we didn't really get. Any answers to those questions this week? Uh, The biggest question is what Iowa Democrats will do now in order to appease both state law and the National Democratic Party Uh, because at a glance, it appears that those two are now at odds. State law says Iowa Democrats have to hold their caucuses before any other state casts a primary vote for president. And that new National Party policy says Iowa can't go first. Um, And in the meantime, Iowa Democratic Party leaders have not had much to say since they returned uh, from getting their big dose of bad news in Washington D.C. last week. Uh, so, so Tom, it feels like we're still uh, in the dark here. Do, do we know any more today than we did last week?
1: Uh, not, not really. Uh, what we don't, excuse me. What we do know is that uh, South Carolina Democrats were stunned by Biden's plan to put them first uh, in in twenty twenty four. There's been um, reporting from national news outlets, as well as uh, news outlets in in South Carolina, um, talking to um, Democratic Party leaders um, in the Palmetto State, um, who uh, said that, uh, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise, uh, according to uh, Carol Fowler, who's the um, state's South Carolina's representative on the uh, Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee. But in terms of what Iowa is going to do, we really don't have any more clarity than we did um a couple of weeks ago um so um Iowa Democratic Party officials the Iowa Democratic Party chairman um Ross Wilburn said that um you know Iowa Democrats will continue to um follow and comply with state law um but the 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 question there is that um, so as you mentioned um, Iowa state law uh, mandates that um, that Iowa, uh, that it requires the political parties to hold caucuses at least eight days before any other state's presidential nominating contest. But there's ambiguity in the law. It doesn't necessarily say how those caucuses must be conducted. Um, so Iowa Democrats could choose to hold two separate processes where you have a party organizing caucus and then a separate presidential selection contest um, so that they don't run afoul of um, the new DNC rules and, and the new calendar that the DNC is likely to approve um, in early February um, in in Philadelphia. Um, so, yeah, so, so there's still this big open question of, you know, what what happens to the Iowa caucuses on the Democratic side? in um, you know what what becomes of of that process
0: yeah and and what you described there tom the what they could do is still hold caucuses but not do a presidential preference count at that one, do that later. that seems to me anyways to be the path of least resistance here the 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 one way that they could do that and 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 appease uh yeah. both parties, and I guess that now is the question then is that what they want to do? Or do right. they want to thumb their nose at the national party? And-
1: right. And and a, a, another outstanding question is, um, you know, how will the DNC respond? What will the DNC do? Um, should uh, Iowa, and New Hampshire choose to go rogue? And it seems pretty clear that uh, New Hampshire is um, is is dead set on following their state law and will hold the first in the nation primary, whatever the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but we 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 got a little bit, I guess, better an idea as to um, maybe how the DNC might respond. So the National Committee did put in place new sanctions for states that try to leapfrog each other on the calendar. So if Iowa holds its caucuses um, earlier than, than the DNC allows and uses them to select uh, delegates to the National Convention. Um, the new rules dictate that the state would lose half its delegates to the National Convention, and the DNC um, could take a vote to to bar all the delegates. Um, and uh, Caleb, you've been covering this as well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the rules also give the DNC uh, chairman leeway to strip delegates and debate access for candidates who campaign in unsanctioned states. And um, I think the chair also has the power to unseat uh state delegations from from the nominating nominating convention if they defy uh party rules.
2: Yeah, that all that all sounds right to me. I know there's a lot of uh there are harsh penalties for um candidates who campaign in these states if they hold uh contests outside the window. Yeah.
4: For for candidates, I, I definitely get why you wouldn't want to participate but like if you're the state party and you already feel like you've been iced out by the national party i don't even know like what any of those penalties even though some of them sound severe would really matter that much <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: and i think that's why it's interesting to see what iowa democrats ultimately decide to do because there's an argument like you said uh jared it's not like i was proportion of the delegates is a huge piece of the pie. Iowa wasn't important because they had a ton of delegates. Iowa was important because they were first. Um, so, you know that punishment alone isn't maybe um, a- enough uh, to scare Iowa Democrats off from from um, staying first.
1: And they've got support from Republicans in the state to do this. Right. Um, both 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 uh, um, uh, Senator Grassley and. Um, the Iowa GOP uh, party chairman, Jeff Kaufman, um, I believe, um, have have encouraged uh, Iowa Democrats to, um, you know, to, to essentially go rogue and, and continue to go first.
5: Well, and, yeah. you know, will there be some candidates who are maybe lesser known, more progressive, who might actually try to use this as some sort of advantage by coming to Iowa and saying, we're not going to let the party poobahs and the mm-hmm. big moneyed interest dictate to Democrats who they're going to choose. And we're going to have the Midwest be part of this because, hell, Michigan's not even in the Midwest. <laughs> will be That will be one of the arguments. But you just wonder whether there are going to be some candidates that are like, you know, we'll use this kind of thwarting the, the powers that be to, you know, put the decision back in the hands of grassroots Democrats. I mean, it may not be many and they may be not be the candidates that have much of a chance, but you kind of wonder whether that might that scenario might play out too.
0: Yeah, it's going to be so interesting. And, and, in, and in some ways is why it's unfortunate um, that we won't really know this for a long time because in all likelihood, President Joe Biden's going to run for re-election. So there's not going to be much of a Democratic caucus, if any, in, in 2024 anyways, as far as the presidential primary goes. Um, uh, so we may not get answers for, to these questions for five more years.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and... In- and so I talked to, um, uh, to to Scott Brennan. I was um, member on the DNC um, Rules Committee. Um, and he was saying, sorry, I'm just checking my notes. Um, he was saying that um, states wouldn't have to submit their delegate selection plans to the DNC for approval until, I think, early May. Um, and so he was talking that, you know, this could be a year of extended uncertainty as states navigate. Conflicting laws and jockey for a, a better spot on the calendar.
0: Yeah, the Wild West is going. to is going to be interesting for the next uh, couple months.
1: Well, um, you know, along the lines
5: of what I just said, it would. I'm s am sure if there were some sort of insurgent challenge to Joe Biden, I I think after all this, Iowa Democrats would be fairly receptive to the argument. So maybe, yeah, well, maybe someone yeah. will come in here and try to, you know, bloody his nose with a with a unsanctioned caucus victory. But now. Yeah who
0: knows and 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 look it's not it, i think it's safe to say that iowa democrats are largely supportive of, of of president biden but at the same time you know he he did this and and it, it's not like he it when you get into a intra-party competition it's not like he has a great track record of success in iowa to begin with even before <laughs> all this uh so there's that too just just fascinating it's gonna be interesting um one last thought on this before we move on. I, I you, I want to circle back on something. Todd or Tom mentioned right at the top that uh, South Carolina was a little bit um, uh, sideswiped by this and didn't even necessarily see it coming. That to me is maybe the most fascinating part about all this. It, it just amazes to me that this has been a discussion for in in even in the most immediate sense, well more than a year. And bigger picture, it's been a discussion for probably five or 10 years. Um, And we've been waiting for months and months and months for this national rules and bylaws committee to give us the plan. They gave no indication of where they were headed. They postponed the decision until after the election, all this stuff. And then ultimately what happens is the president swoops in with clearly was just his own idea. I mean, I, like I pictured Joe Biden uh, sitting around at dinner scribbling on a napkin and just handing it to someone and saying, "Here, t- tell them to do this," and and that's what we wound up with. Uh, you know, like you said, South Carolina didn't even know they were in the running for this, and they didn't actively campaign for it—at least not as much as other states. Uh, and and that's what we what we wind up with. That that just blows my mind. All right, moving on. There's other things going on b- other than the caucuses, believe it or not. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I I had to check that uh, myself just to make sure. <laughs> uh... Uh, we, we had a fairly rare occurrence here in, in Iowa elections um, in Scott County this week. Uh, an election recount actually flipped the results that were found from the unofficial count. Uh, so some quick, quick background here. Uh, in the unofficial results from the election for Iowa House District 81 in Scott County, Democrat Craig Cooper appeared to have edged Republican Luana Stoltenberg by just six votes. Now, again, it's always, and especially when we report on close races from these elections, everything is unofficial until uh, certified by the state. So that just six-vote outcome, naturally, Stoltenberg asked for a recount. Um, And this week, when that last recount was finally completed, the final results showed Stoltenberg the winner by 11 votes. So a a 17-vote swing in the outcome, but also, and, and Sarah, you'll know the exact number, it, it, um, the number of votes total that were counted was off by like 40 some. And, and and go ahead and tell me what that was when you get to your part. And that's that's really rare for a recount to not only uh, change an outcome, but to change the results by that many votes. Usually it, it's it's a, a handful, uh, a dozen maybe votes at the most, that these things move in a recount. And to have almost 50 vote difference between the totals was interesting. Um so, Sarah, in the immortal words of the late, great Fred Willard from A Mighty Wind, what happened? And, and, and hey, by the way, don't look so puzzled by the reference this time, you youngs. That movie's from
3: 2003. I was um five. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes okay sorry so um so essentially so the house district 81 race we knew it was probably going to be a close one um there's a, democrats have a slight edge in um active party registration but Luena stoltenberg spent tens of thousands of dollars on advertising um neither party actually targeted the race uh which was interesting but um it is the Last race to be recounted, finish its recount in Iowa. So after this, the state will um, certify its results, and the county will certify the results on Monday. But um, essentially, uh, the this this race has kind of seesawed back and forth. Um, Scott County has had some issues with counting its absentee ballots. Um, So, and there were this is the second time actually that the lead has changed after recount. So. On election night, it actually looked like Luana Stoltenberg was going to win by about 29 votes, I believe, it was between 20 and 30 votes. And then um, the Secretary of State and County Auditor discovered that there were about 500 absentee ballots that were not included in the election night totals. So, the, um, so they conduct a recount of the absentee ballots. Um, and by the end of that, Craig Cooper's ahead by six votes. Um and so then of course, like you said, Luana Stoltenberg asks for a recount as expected and um and bipartisan uh candidate picked board counted up all the votes and they said, Well, actually Luana Stoltenberg has won by um by eleven votes. So um Yeah. And there were 40. So so that total, then there were 45 uh, fewer absentee ballots than in the county auditor's final tally. So we uh, we've just heard it's been a very long process, lots of long days at the at the county auditor's building. And um, and it's pretty rare to have a recount change uh, the outcome by that much. And it's not totally clear how that happened or why that happened. Um, both the county auditor and the recount board are very confident in their tallies and what they reported. Um, so it's just, it's not totally clear. I talked with an um, an elections expert at the University of Iowa, who um, uh, Derek Muller, who was uh, on the Johnson County Recount Board in 2020. Um, and he just said, you know, sometimes ballots Get counted twice, or there's a stack that's misplaced, and usually a recount will uh, try to account for that, try to account for that discrepancy, but um, uh, and then try to get the the all three members of recount board to sign off on it, but um, sign off on the final result. and And all three board members did sign off on the final result, and Craig Cooper conceded to Luana Stoltenberg, so um, it seems like this would be. The finality of that race, unless um, Craig Cooper ch- uh, brings the challenge to the House of Representatives, which, of course, House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans, it's unlikely unless he had a specific concern about the recount. So, yeah, so definitely, it, it was a really interesting and complicated, convoluted process. But yeah,
0: and 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 I don't do this to throw anyone in, under the bus or anything, but I think it's a fair question to ask given all the different imaginations that this process has gone through, as you described, and the, and the fluctuations. And and I, I guess what I think really kind of set off uh, some alarms for me, Sarah, as I read your coverage, is um, in one of the early stories um, after – so you mentioned there was the first issue uh, with election night, and then they, they, they went back through those and, and got what the unofficial – the final, but still unofficial results, and at that point, the auditor said we are 100% uh, confident in the county's election results. Then they go through another recount, and it actually changes one of the outcomes, and as we said, changes the vote tally by almost 50 votes. Um, and and the new quote quote now is that the com- county auditor is still unclear. Um, that's kind of a unfortunate kind of series of statements and change in tone that like it feels like it should have gone the other direction. should have been unclear after the first recount and 100% certain after the second.
3: Yeah, I guess. Well, so she's still 100% confident in the final tally, but she's unclear on how that initial election night discrepancy happened, how it was that the auditor's office wasn't able to count those extra those four i shouldn't say extra but those 500 or so ballots on election night they're still not sure what happened if it okay. was a okay. machine that um that uh it, they said that the machines kind of jammed like the ballots kind of right. got crunched together and they'd have to rerun them through. And so um, so she wasn't sure if it was a machine problem or if it was a human error, if somebody misplaced a stack of ballots and it didn't get run through the machine. But um, she issued a report. She made public a report and the report actually showed. So the absentee ballot board counted the number of envelopes before they opened them. And so that number that they counted is actually pretty close to the county auditor's final recount number. Um so so it's it's you know, I don't think that they found, you know, if that makes sense, they they um right. they did misplace those like 500 or so ballots. Those didn't get counted by the machines, but they did have them. It's not like they were lost, I guess, right. forever. Right. So yeah, but so I so yeah, it's you know at the end of the day, like 45 ballots um, that was not ca- or the the recount and the county auditors totals being 45 off. That in a race where a, a race that's decided by 300 400 votes, it may not matter as much, but on a race that's decided by 11 or 20 right. votes, it, it definitely matters a lot.
1: So I'm I'm having a deja vu and, and <laughs> flashbacks. <laughs> And, and flashbacks to to 2020, with uh, the second congressional district recount between Marianne Miller Meeks and and uh, Rita Hart, where the Scott County recount board tallied 131 more absentee ballots than the Scott County auditor's post election canvas, and the recount board ended up um, signing off uh, on 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 the results without providing any explanation as for the reason for that discrepancy. So it's just, I don't know, crazy right. that we're having that, that you have the the same issue happening again with another recount.
4: So, uh, I'm, I'm curious and maybe, uh, Todd wants to take my, uh, my question on this. If this had been in the other, uh, direction and, you know, the final results had a Democrat winning by, um, 11 votes in an election that was maybe, you know, contested or there's some you know counting issues. Do you think that would have been just received warmly and everybody would have just moved on and it would have been fine?
5: Jared throws an
0: 85 mile an hour fastball right down the middle.
5: Oh yeah, I I think it would have gone exactly the same way. I mean, I mean, why why be greedy? You you know, you've got what 60 60. How many? How 60, This
0: is the sixty fourth. With this, this change. is the
5: sixty. I mean, you have sixty three. It's a nice round odd number. And <laughs> I think they, I think they just would have been like, congratulations, Craig Cooper, a former journalist who we all know they hold in high regard. So it, it would have. I think it, it, it would have been just a just a warm, fuzzy holiday sort of sort of moment. No, they would have challenged it, and they. I don't know. They. It, it would have been probably.
0: Well, Agreed. they wouldn't have
5: been able to challenge it in the U.S.
0: House because, um, as Tom and his PTSD can attest, when uh, Democrats did tried that uh, two years ago. Uh, well, I th-
5: the the Republican House might have they might have, uh, you know, convened you know the best signature experts from within their caucus, and they might have gone through and divined which All the best signature d- didn't match experts. Something like that. Well, yeah, there's got to be. I mean, they, they sign a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's, it just comes with the territory.
0: Oh, man. That's, that's quite the thought experiment. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, let's skip from our eastern border to the west where the city of Sioux City is working on a little bill collection from former President Donald Trump. According to our Jared McNex Sioux City Journal- Emails from myriad city officials show that various departments have tried to get the Trump campaign to cover roughly $11,000 in expenses incurred by the city during a November 3rd rally at the Sioux Gateway Airport. If, if you remember, folks, that was the one, uh, obviously, shortly before the election where uh, former President Trump uh, came in to campaign for um, Governor Reynolds and Senator Grassley and um, probably a little bit for his own cause. Uh Jared, uh, tell us a little bit about the different tabs that are still outstanding there and, and, and what the city has been trying to do about it.
4: Um. So the, uh, the most recent reporting that our uh, city reporter, uh, Dolly Butts, has done shows that uh, Event Strategies, which is a D.C.-based group, uh, paid a $1,400 bill, $1,425 bill for EMS services, and they just did that on uh, – Thursday, which just happened to be a day after the uh, the print edition of our uh, our story uh, came out, they finally uh, paid one of their bills a day after uh, the journal's uh, reporting uh, came out. The event was a month ago, but they they paid it on Thursday, a day after again the print edition of the Sioux City Journal uh, published its story.
0: The pen is mightier.
4: And uh, there was also supposed to be a a five thousand um, dollar wire transfer provided before the start of the agreement. Um, And the outstanding issues with that seem to have been finalized the afternoon of the day before the rally. So that one got in uh, just under the wire. And then the thing that um, we've still been working on now is sort of a follow-up to the story from earlier in the week is what's moved at all with the expenses for police, which is what totaled about $10,000. Through the earlier part of this week, it was still up in the air um, how that was going to be covered. Um, there were emails explaining that like the U.S. Secret Service might do a reimbursement for that, but we still haven't gotten a clear, unequivocal answer about how that's all going to be covered and if it's been covered at this point. So at least at this point, it seems as though there's at least still $10,000 up in the air.
0: Yeah, and, and this story is, was really interesting to me because, and I, I preface this, I'm not doing this as a, a both sides do it thing. I, this is just genuinely the experience that I have. Um, I, I recall a very similar story. Uh, about the city of Dubuque uh, being in a similar situation with former President Barack Obama's campaign after an event there late in his 2012 re-election campaign. Uh, I I tried like heck. Unfortunately, I couldn't find that story in the Wayback Machine. Uh, I I guess I needed to get back into 801 Bluff there in Dubuque uh, to get in in their in-house archives to find it, but it wasn't on the website anywhere. Um, So I couldn't find the details, but I just recall the city trying to recoup some money from the Obama campaign for expenses they incurred that day. Very similar to the story that Jared shared there about the Sioux city. And it's interesting, Jared, to hear you say it, that the last kind of outstanding one has to do with police expenses. Cause as I recall, that was the big hangup in that, from that story too. And and maybe that's kind of like what you described. It's because campaigns and cities maybe don't see the eye on what it constitutes a police expense. That's just a normal expense versus an expense related to the campaign event that happened that day, so that's interesting
4: and of of course, and as uh, Dolly reported in her uh story, this is a little bit different than something like uh President Obama's campaign because the Trump organization has a uh well documented and reported history right. of uh, right. issues in the past with these sorts of events and paying people,
0: yeah, yeah, Sioux city's not alone in in that uh in that family uh when it comes to those kinds of incidents and and issues with the trump campaign that's very true well we'll have to see whatever comes of that uh jared will let us know here if that ever gets resolved uh finally this week but speaking of former president trump he recently opined on social media that parts of the u.s constitution should be essentially set aside or ignored so that he can be reinstalled as president this thought was, of course, an extension of Trump's ongoing and, and patently false assertion that the 2020 presidential election results were fraudulent. Uh, once again, they were not. Um, so, former President Trump, who once swore an oath to protect the Constitution, now wants it shoved in the drawer. Um, Republicans are getting asked about that uh, uh, a lot now. We, we just had uh, taped in Iowa Press with Ashley Hinson. Uh, and this topic came up. Um this week, I have Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley was asked about that comment. And, and so, Caleb, uh, if I remember right, you covered that. Uh, what did the recently reelected Grassley, who as a senator also has sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution, what did he have to say about Trump's comments?
2: Yeah, so he was uh, pretty brief in his rebuke. He just said it's unconstitutional. Um, the full quote was, it doesn't matter whether the former president said this or anybody else said it. In regard to suspending the Constitution, it's unconstitutional. Um, which, fair enough. Pretty uh, uh, in, in the name. I just love know.
0: that. Though. Like <laughs> wh- whether it's him saying it or anybody else saying it, nobody
5: else is saying
0: it.
2: Right, right. It is. No, a
5: anybody, <laughs> you know, anybody who you know sparked an attack on the U.S. Capitol is saying that. I mean, that's unconstitutional. That's just. I mean, come on, insurrectionists, get in line. Right. Behind the Constitution.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's not too unexpected. I mean, he's he's kept uh, Trump at arm's length since he announced his third run for president. Um, you know, he said uh, when uh, he was announced that you know we, we want to welcome any candidate who wants to come make their case in Iowa. Uh, and you know, even when Grassley has campaigned with Trump, um, he never gave him the highest praise. You know, back in, in that Sioux City rally. He essentially said, you know, it would be silly of me not to come campaign in front of tens of thousands of people. Um, So that's kind of interesting. But he didn't get to the point of saying, you know, this disqualifies Trump's. uh, He didn't get to the point of saying this disqualifies Trump's campaign or we need a new leader of the party, as some other Republicans have said. Um, But the other thing um, I think is interesting to note in this is the reason Trump said all this, it kind of came on the heels of this um, Twitter thread that uh, titled The Twitter Files. Um, that Republicans have said uh, shows some collusion between the Biden campaign and big tech. Um, I'm not going to go into litigating that too much other than to say that the writer who published it, Matt Taibbi, said himself that both Biden's campaign and the Trump White House had uh, requests to take things down. And, uh, you know, there was not any government involvement in the Hunter Biden story. not. I won't go too deep in that. Um, But anyway, uh, uh, Grassley, does agree with Trump on some of those issues um, and a lot of conservatives are point to this as some sort of nefarious plot between um, Biden and Twitter uh, he said on the Senate floor that same day that Twitter was quote effectively an arm of the Democratic Party in the Biden campaign um, during the 2020 election so there is some some uh, similarities there but you know he he's not going to say that the Constitution needs to be um, taken away because of that.
4: That uh, that great exercise in uh, in journalism that's uh, ongoing on Twitter. I I might have missed it, but have they have they released all of the files for you know everyone to look at to make sure no, they're, they're maybe not, not being what? improperly no. but to make sure they're maybe not being improperly framed or contextualized in a way. It would, you know, maximize a certain position of, uh, you know, the person that might own the the platform by chance, because that
2: that would be journalistically irresponsible uh, to do that. I think you're right about that. Yeah, um, but no, interestingly, that hasn't happened yet.
5: Well, and everybody's acting like this is like, I mean, people that are, you know, talking about this collusion and campaigns asking an organization like Twitter to, to, you know, do something. It's like how many times over? decades has the White House called up the New York Times or the Washington Post and said, hey, we don't want you to run that story. It could jeopardize national security. I mean, the Pentagon Papers are a good example. I was just going to say, it's one of the best scenes in the Post, right? I mean, so, I mean, I'm not condoning that. I would rather the government didn't do that. But I mean, this has been part of journalism for a long time is the pushback from campaigns and public officials on stories that they don't like. But so we have now
0: established here that uh, maybe this isn't being presented in the most neutral and nonpartisan light on social media, and maybe the pearl clutching over this is for political purposes and not genuine concern. I am altogether shocked. Well, right that now. is
5: that is a serious accusation to make. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we, well, I would, you know, we just have to fight over this whole this whole fight about, you know, social media censoring one side or the other is just, I don't know. It's 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 really interesting to the people like us that are on Twitter and, and deal with this stuff. But for the rest of the country, I'm not sure. Nobody cares. It really resonates. Nobody cares. So many
0: people say Twitter isn't real life, but I don't think enough people actually believe that or, or, or live by
4: it. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 always important with any uh, of this kind of stuff to see if, like, you went up and just told someone about it, and they looked at you like you belonged on the funny farm, then, you know, maybe it's not real life and shouldn't be invested in too much, no matter what we're talking about or what's trending.
5: As, as an editorial page editor, what I love is all of the columnists and cartoonists who are writing about this Twitter stuff, and I'm like, you – and these are like print only things i can't even put them online so you're you're i mean our i don't know what the demographics of our print readership are but i i know it's not heavily it's not a heavily tweeting demographic so when you know I'm, I'm just all of this copy that it's like why why am i going to put this in the dead tree newspaper for yeah. people it's just okay. for the people who are
0: still asking their grandchildren how to open things on their phone
5: yeah. How do you, how do you, how does this camera work? But, <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, the one thing I
0: did, I was curious about this, um, and not the Twitter part, but going back to, to President Trump's comment about the Constitution, I was curious to get your real quick thought here before we go, Todd. Um, uh, cause we were talking about this, uh, this morning, uh, once we got offset from Iowa Press after asking, and, and first of all, I, I should add, Congresswoman Henson basically treated it the same way. She called, you know, call any call to disregard the constitution, a non-starter. Now, before we get all excited that, that she didn't mean as for a presidential candidate, she just meant as a discussion point or as an issue, because um, she she kind of went on to kind of tread that water the same way Senator Grassley did about presidential candidates and welcome them all to Iowa and Iowans are going to choose. Um, but it does occur to me, and, and I wonder, well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out that I mean, we we may have finally gotten to a point where uh, former President Trump has managed to find things that he can say and do that Republicans actually can, in some meaningful ways, stand up to or or, or criticize. And this one, I mean, being disregarding the Constitution, that seems to be one right in the wheelhouse where it's pretty easy for Republicans to say, um, you know, nobody should be... um, add nothing to the constitution in that way. I'm just curious, Don, if you think, like, are, are we finally there? Are we finally getting to a point where um, Republicans will start to feel a little more comfortable uh, criticizing former President Trump? And, and the, the midterm results kind of play into that, too.
5: Yeah. One of my regular guest columnists, Norman Sherman, who actually was Vice President Hubert Humphrey's press secretary. He's, mm-hmm. he's in his 90s. And he wrote that uh, Every every time Trump speaks now, people back away like he's got political halitosis, which I think is a I think is a fairly good description. I mean, it's you got several pla- factors at play. You've got the fact that he turned out to be poison for the midterms, and of course, right. Herschel Walker is the last nail in that coffin. And then you've got the the Nazi brunch or whatever the hell that was, and uh, and then you've got uh, basically this this you know, terminate parts of the constitution. I mean, all of, but what it comes down to is that slowly but surely he's becoming a big election liability. And I think I've made this comparison before. It reminds me a little bit of Steve King. Steve King was all fun and games until he almost got beat and started to be a liability dragging other people down. And then they decided it was time to get rid of him. That so fantastic comparison. So that's uh, that's where I see Trump going is that you're just gonna, people are backing away from him now. Granted, you know, there's still going to be polling that shows him ahead and there's going to be, you know, he, you know, he still has a good sized portion of the base that's in his, in his, uh, you know, in his support group. But uh, yeah, I I think, I think we're kind of seeing maybe the beginning of the big kind of shove away. But, you know, as I said, I think at a Pines in politics or something, if you wanted to make, if you wanted to make money betting on the Republican Party, uh, edging away from Donald Trump has not been a very good bet over the last over the last six years. So I guess I'll believe it when I see it.
0: There you go. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that too, and everything else we talked about uh, today. But that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. A lot of interesting stuff and great discussion as always. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends and sc- and if you aren't already, subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. If you'd like to reach out, send us an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter. Every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites, the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, and Council Bluffs Daily non Perel and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Paleo will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you for listening.
6: Along the side of the bow, lucky way, We live out into clouds who stir and spill on the wind. Whipped moon like a cuticle rune, filed away and never read by the wind in her swoon for her bloom barren womb every kiss was her wish for the rain but the rain would go mad become snow with a laugh a long long island sound where the icebergs conspire just like barbs. On a wire A long, long island A long, long island A long, long island sound Do I bring out the worst In the oceans? Why do the waves Spell out your name? Long, long island, a long, long island, a long, long island sound, and our cats will escape, they will go look for their mates, a long, long island sound, where the skies. Are all scraped by our empire state? A long, long island. A long, long island. A long, long island.